LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with Daniel M. Hello, hello. As well as a very special guest, Shanti Felton. Now, if you have gotten married, I don't know, in the last 20 years or so, uh, you have probably at one time or another encountered uh, one of her books. I know I have. I know I've been... I know I've purchased, and mm-hmm. I ber- books have been purchased for me. Yes, <laughs> prescribed to me, uh, and many other things. So we're very, very happy uh, to have her on today, Daniel. Yeah, for women only, for men only. Uh, her newest book, The Kindness Challenge. I mean, there's just so uh, much. Uh, there, there's such a deep well of knowledge that Shanti brings to the table. So we're so excited to have you on the podcast today. Welcome, Shanti. Oh, I'm delighted. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Awesome. Now, Shanti, uh, I was looking through your website and found, because this is a podcast, I love seeing when other people are (laughs) podcasting as well. And it looks like you just launched a podcast, right? I did. I did. It's it's part of the new Family Life uh, podcast network with the Family Life Ministry out in Little Rock, Arkansas. And um, Brian Goins, who's the new content, uh, head of content for Family Life, and I have um, the larger podcast that they're doing. It's called Married with Benefits. And... um, our series is called Questions Every Wife is Asking, and it's to help women understand you men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I would think would be terribly difficult. Actually, especially, uh, actually, actually today, no. yeah, you might think that, but honestly, it's really not. It's just that, I hate to say it, we haven't given a whole lot of attention to that in this culture. It's all about... I hate to say it today, it's all about male bashing. Um, and so this is this is the reverse. This is trying to help every confused wife um, understand what's really going on in the, in the hearts and the heads of uh, the men around us, especially our husbands. And um, and it's it's fun. It's a fun topic, but it's incredibly eye opening for us as women. Okay, so uh, we started down this just a little bit right before we um, started the podcast. And I was like, no, no small talk today. <laughs> Let's just go straight into the podcast because I want to talk about this issue a lot. Um, yes, we will get to our five questions, listeners, but I have my own personal thing to axe to grind. <laughs> okay, so I said, hey, that must be insanely difficult because I – Grew up in the middle of nowhere, you know, farming community, know how to use my hands and still would consider myself uh, a guy's guy. But at the same time, I feel like my generation and under from a a male perspective has been somewhat emasculated. And, you know, the topic of like men's ministry and some of the traditional things that men would – I guess people thought or think, you know, in targeting men, hey, this is what you do or this is this is manhood. Those things are like <laughs> gone. Like I, I, I don't um, I don't associate with some of those things. And I just would think it would be terribly, terribly difficult. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. And this is really where I sort of feel like one of my callings is, 
is essentially the the reason why so many men feel like you do, by the way, very that's very common statistically, it, the reason that so many men are feeling emasculated, it's coming from two directions. It's coming from the culture, which is a huge deal today, but it's also coming from their own wives. And we as women just don't realize that so many of the things that we're doing and saying every day, we have no idea how it feels to a man. And the reason, I mean, sort of the bottom line is that it turns out that most of the time, and there are exceptions, but most of the time, men and women have two different sets of insecurities and um, different needs that come up as a result to sort of to speak to those insecurities. And the thing for men is we we women don't realize that you're not as sort of strong and confident and think you're all that as you look. Um, and so we don't know that down under the surface and you confident looking husbands of ours, um, that there's a lot of self-doubt, like real deep self-doubt. Like mm. I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great dad, but I'm really not sure that I know what I'm doing. And it's a raw nerve that we as women are hitting moment after moment, day after day, week after week, year after year. And it's painful. And we don't even realize the nerve is there. So that's really one of the main reasons for mm. so many of the research projects that I've done, like the book for women only, um, which I think you were referencing some of that earlier. Um, and this podcast for questions every wife is asking. Um, it's all about trying to help us as women understand what is going on under the surface, because most of us really appreciate our husbands and have no idea that we're sending the opposite message. That's so helpful. That's so helpful. Yeah. I mean, I've, I was even looking through some of the episodes that you were, had recently done. And I mean, one of them was, why does my husband choose video games over me? <laughs> and I'm like, how yeah. big of an issue is that? Because that's what it feels like. <laughs> well, it's a fairly really? big issue, especially for, and, and this is a bit of a stereotype, but especially for people under the age of 35-ish, okay, that that's a fairly common issue. And and we tell the wives, this is, this is a guy who's been out there feeling like he's fighting a battle every day, and he's really kind of having that nerve hit all day. And he's not trying to ignore you. He's trying to sort of escape into a world where doggone it, you know, if he gets the right score or kills the right number of avatars, you know, he feels pretty darn good. And it it can be addictive. Mm -hmm. And so really the question is, you know, that's, that's an example of one of the things we talked about is how as a wife, can you approach your husband about that without it just being a matter of nagging and really understand what often, not always, but often is underneath it. That's great. That's great. Thank you for that. Okay. So let's, let's get to our questions. Uh, the first question is who are you learning from? You know, actually, we are just wrapping up one of our uh, big research projects. This one's been about three years in the making. And honestly, who we're learning from right now is all of the thousands of people that we have interviewed and done focus groups with and surveyed just to sort of hear what's going on in their hearts. It's been a really fascinating few years. What are some of the things that you've been learning? Well, the main the main thrust 
um, of the research project, um, which was going to be my answer to question number two. <laughs> um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the main You're setting yourself up. else are you learning from? Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, no. But the, the really, truly, the, the project that Jeff and I have taken on is we've been studying why in our marriages, why we fight about money. Why do we ha- get sideways with each other? What's going on underneath the surface? Or for people who don't fight, sometimes it's like they don't fight because they just don't talk about it. That was definitely me and Jeff. Um, and sometimes people are great. Like they can have conversations about money all day long. There's no awkwardness. There's no difficulty. Okay, why is that? And it it turns out that, you know, when we're sideways with each other about money, which is obviously a huge deal in marriages, it, it turns out it's not about the money. And so that's that's really what we've been talking to these thousands of people that we've been learning from these last few years is trying to figure out what is it about? If it's not about money, then what's it about? Why is it that when I've had a, a hard day of meetings or, you know, I'm driving back from the airport and I call Jeff and say, you know what, I'm just really tired. I'm just going to pick up Chinese food on the way home for us and the kids. And he's like, well, you know, I was just at Costco. We've got some cheap, you know, Costco chicken in the fridge. How about I just grill that? Why does that irritate me <laughs> when, when he's like, no, don't get the Chinese food takeout? So that's what we've been trying to figure out. And we've been talking to many, many people people to try to figure out all of that day-to-day stuff that gets us in our marriages. That's fun. That's fun. So are you going to be writing on this? Yes. Speaking on it? I mean, what what's the form that this is going to come out in? Yes. So this is going to be our next book. Um, and it's currently titled okay. Thriving in Love and Money. And um, it's due to okay, come out awesome. March 2020. So if you were listening to this podcast okay, after that awesome. time... It's already out. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we here to be so. candid, to, to be candid, one of the main one of the main things that we have done over the last few years is we haven't just talked to the average couple. We've talked to a lot of pastors and a lot of leaders in the Christian community, a lot of ministry leaders. And one of the things that we have heard over and over and over again from the average pastor is that this is a topic, this topic of money, it's something that affects everything in their churches, the giving, everything ties back to it, but it's not something most pastors enjoy talking about. And one of the reasons for that is that up until now, really the main emphasis has really been what is the stewardship responsibility that people have and talking to them about that responsibility, which is great. Like that's incredibly important when you're talking about giving, for example. But there's a whole nother element running under the surface that I think will be really helpful for pastors Um, which is why we did this project to begin with, um, which is essentially the greatest obstacle in most cases to a couple maybe not being as generous as they might otherwise be. It's not that they don't care. 
it's not that they don't have a heart for it, although many people don't understand some of the callings behind it and the blessings of giving, for example, but it's the inability of the husband and wife to sit down around the kitchen table and talk about money to begin with. And that really so many of our marriages, we found more than 50% in our study are really living separate financial lives. Like they may have joint bank accounts, but they're kind of each doing their own thing. And certainly Jeff and I were, I mean, when we started this project, that's definitely where we were, even though we wouldn't have necessarily thought of it that way. Um, And so this is really about helping the husband and wife come together and be able to understand what are those things running under the surface that have nothing to do with the technical stuff like budgeting and spreadsheets and QuickBooks, which somebody else is far better able to to talk to people about than we are. Um, But that's the kind of thing, this helping people be able to talk about it will help so much the average, I think, Christian leader and pastor especially be able to bring his church and the people in his church into a completely different level of understanding of how to do money together in marriage. Man, that's awesome. I can't wait to read okay. that. Okay. So what is, uh, this is the, the that second question you were yeah. referring to earlier. What is the main point of emphasis? For- well, we are very much in the final stages of the research for the Love and Money Project. And so all of us are pulling in the okay. same direction of we need to make sure that the final survey, we all of our books are based on surveys. And right now, everything we're doing is entirely pulling to get the survey done and to get the book edited and out the door well so that it can hopefully be a resource, uh, not just to, you know, Bob and Kim sitting in the church, but also to the Bob and Kim's pastor. That's good. That's good. Man, I can't, um, that's going to be, yeah, that, that's going to be so helpful. Well, anything that's research-based, uh, that you've taken that long to prepare. Um, three years is a long time um, to, to wade through that. And, you know, I don't think people really understand when research is involved in something, you know, how how much extra effort and energy goes into that versus <laughs> just saying, oh, I have an idea. I have a theory. I have, I yes. So yes. I greatly appreciate that. Are there any other uh, unique insights that have come out of the research that you'd you'd want to mention? Oh, gosh, there's so many things that have been fascinating to me. I mean, just as a a quick sort of note about some of the things we found. um, Well, I'll I'll give you guys the exclusive first look at this because we haven't talked about this yet to anybody because we're still in the the process of, of finalizing it. But... I mean, for example, I was really shocked at the fact that once I started looking, you know, Jeff and I, as we were looking under the surface, just how much inside many of us, there is a resistance to being one in our finances, Mm -hmm. just how easy it is for that sneakily to kind of sneak up on you like, uh, okay, I'm going to be really transparent. This is embarrassing to admit, but I'll be very transparent that, you know, for, for me and Jeff, I'm more the spender type. 
and he's definitely more the saver and that's stereotypical. And by the way, just in case you're curious, there was no gender correlation in spender and okay. saver. It was just as likely to have a, the guy is a spender, yeah. but in our marriage, that's where it is. And, and I had to really confront the fact that just like so many people in our survey, if, if I order something from Amazon that Jeff doesn't know that I ordered, I'm tempted to try to get the package off the front step before he gets home. That mm -hmm. is just as much of a lack of oneness as if, you know, I'm going behind his back and, you know, buying some huge purchases and not telling him and ringing up thousands of dollars of undisclosed credit card debt. It's the same heart behind it. It's the same fear. It's the same lack of desire to be accountable and have oneness in our marriage. And that's just one little tiny example of the kind of stuff that we saw constantly. So that is just one little scratching the surface thing. I was, I was really quite interested to see that I was not alone in that. And I had to confront what was in my heart about that. That's good. That's good. Now, uh, as a, as a writer and a, and a speaker and podcaster, and, uh, I know recently you were, uh, you and your husband were on, uh, you did some training courses for woomarriage.com. Yeah. Uh, is, is this the topic that you spoke on or, or what do you speak on, on, well, on Woo marriage? Well, we actually, uh, pulled it back even further. So it wasn't just about money. It was two of the courses um, were about some of this basic emotional stuff underneath the surface in men and women. So we talked about at the very beginning about, you know, that we as women just don't always understand what's in the heart of our husband that, that's in there and we don't realize it. And the same thing with, with men. There's men, Husbands usually love their wives. They want them to be happy. They just don't necessarily realize that, like, again, we have different insecurities. And a husband literally does not know that when his wife gets married, when they say, I do, you know, and they start their life together, he stops wondering whether she loves him. Like, that just it doesn't come up. He doesn't realize in her heart there is no switch that gets flipped to the, oh, I feel permanently loved now position. <laughs> and that instead, she really, truly has a question every day. Like, am I lovable? It doesn't go away in marriage. It just morphs to, does he really love me? And so that, hmm. just like with a guy, that can be a raw nerve that can get triggered. And the average awesome loving husband has no idea and so that's an example of that's those are the little bits of information and the what do you do about it and that eye-opening stuff is why we did those two woo marriage courses okay okay so i, I want to ask a follow-up question and i'm sure. super interested in this because my wife and i do a marriage and parenting podcast awesome. uh, as well so we're always talking about this uh this kind of stuff too but you know, with, with your work on this in particular, and especially as you're addressing leaders in the Woo Marriage course, yeah. um, do you find that there are unique dynamics to pastoral couples that you've seen or some common tendencies? Or, yes. Yeah. I mean, what do, you, what do you generally notice differently about ministry couples? Well, the ministry couples, it's interesting what we've seen so far, and we have included very purposefully included many ministry couples um, in our research. One of our uh, 
books and one of our research projects that isn't one of the Woo Marriage courses right yet is on um, the book is called The Surprising Secrets of Highly Happy Marriages. Okay. We made we made sure that in that project, which was studying as the as the title implies, mm-hmm. studying the most happily married couples and seeing what they do differently. We actually officially included a study group of 55 um, pastoral couples um, to be able to sort of have a, a sort of a separate look and see are there things going on that are different. And essentially what we found across the board is that all of the same insecurities and needs and worries and kind of patterns, um, they're all roughly the same. It's just they're the same except exacerbated. So for example, if if the average man has that self-doubt running under the surface and it's a raw nerve and it can be hit, the average pastor man that nerve is probably that much more acute. Is it because and the, the pastor's wife, because they're under the spotlight, because the nerve is easily rubbed raw. Because okay. if you think about it, a pastor is one of the occupations, and there are several others, but it's one of the occupations that is constantly being criticized. That individual is constantly being criticized. And, and so he's at work all day sort of fighting the good fight but is dealing with you know people saying this wasn't right and why did the church do things this way and you messed up here and you know feeling like he's trying to do this calling that God has given him and am I even doing what God has asked me to like there's all this other stuff layered on and so that nerve can actually be kind of raw by the time he gets home and a raw nerve is going to be hit and painful that much more easily, is that much more easy. And yeah. so we found that for pastoral couples, it's that much more important for them to know this for themselves. It's not just a matter of, you know, presenting a good example to the people they pastor, which is obviously important. No, for me, my heart for them is for them to know the stuff for themselves so that they can see when some of those nerves have been hit, some of that stuff has been triggered in a way that neither of them intended because they both care about each other. Um, But once they know it, it's absolutely astounding how much we can kind of fix some of these things for ourselves. Now, obviously, many pastoral couples have, you know, regular um, counseling. They they try to sort of stay on top of that. Um, but even with that, there's many things that once we know it, we can kind of solve some of these problems because we just it was just based on cluelessness. And now our eyes are open. No, that's helpful. That's helpful. So let's make a little bit of a switch here. And sure. Shanti, so for your daily rhythms, right, the things that you do on a daily basis, what are two or three things that you find yourself having to do? And what benefit does it have for your life and leadership? So, okay, <laughs> this is so trite Christian, but I'm going to say it anyway. I have never been up until the last year or two, I had not been real good about a daily quiet time in the way that I sort of thought I should as a Christian. 
And yet it's interesting over the last couple of years, this particular research project has just been kicking our tail. Like it's just been incredibly complicated. There's a lot that goes along with it. Um, There were a lot of demands that were a little unusual for this project. Um, And, and it was interesting. I, we, we have a prayer team and, you know, I would send out prayer emails and I would, of course, you know, Jeff and I would be praying about stuff. And, and yet it was almost this pattern that God started for me where I would, you know, finish the morning, whatever, you know, you take the shower, you get dressed, you start to leave your bedroom. This is for me. And I felt like it was like God was grabbing me by the back of the neck. Like you cannot leave this room until you sit down and read the Bible for a bit or until you sit down and read through a devotional and pray or until you sit down and do a prayer journal. Um, It it was interesting. It was a step of obedience. And now I just, I can't imagine how I got through without that kind of every single morning, um, no matter how crazy things were, you know, how I got through things before this before then. So that's one. Um, but, but the other, (laughs) okay, you're going to laugh at this. Another thing that has been absolutely maybe silly, but really important for me. And I think myself and Jeff is often, you know, we'll get the kids off to school. Um, our daughter just now started college, but up until very recently, you know, our son is still in high school. We'd get the kids off to school and then Jeff and I would sit and drink coffee. And we might not even talk to each other. Like he'd be reading the newspaper or I'd be reading a book, but we'd then like compare notes on things or, Hey, listen to this that just happened. And he would read something from the news or I would read something that I was reading in the news. And it's interesting. It's kind of become our equivalent of a date night. It sounds silly, but it kind of is because we travel so much. We speak, we don't have the ability to do what normally people would think of like a date night. Um, When we're at home, we're on the road so much, you know, we're having dinner in Dallas or something. Um, And when we're at home in Atlanta, we want to be with the kids. Um, So this is kind of like our... Um, time together. And it's, it's a really actually become a pretty important start to the day. Love that. That's good. I'll move us into question four, because I think it lines up with that um, rather well. You know, you mentioned Jeff, your husband before, and, you know, he's no slouch either. You both went to Harvard. He was Harvard Law and does law outside, I know, still, and um, as well as writes with you and um, does tech. I mean, we're, uh, we're heavy on the tech side. Uh, our team is specifically. So I cannot imagine, I don't know Jeff, but, uh, having been a philosophy undergrad and like, I can just picture what Jeff is, who Jeff is based on your description and all that. Awesome. What does leadership in your home look like? Well, it's, it is definitely one of these cases where I am married to an incredibly wise, godly guy who puts up with me. Is <laughs> basically what the answer to that one is. <laughs> because like a lot of women, I can seize control, right? I can know we're doing this. And mm. I, it's as old as Adam and Eve, right? 
Um, and and it's it's really amazing the difference that it makes when I am willing as a leader myself um, to really allow Jeff to be the leader that he is rather than trying to, you know, take charge and telling him what to do, which is what I used to do. Um, but yeah, he's, it's, it's an interesting partnership. We both, um, we're very different people. Um, but I just have so much respect for that man. And, um, and, and just constantly grateful every day, um, at, at watching him lead our family. Now, you said, what, what does the kid's situation look like? You said, well, one is at home, one is in college. So, and they're both now at the moment home for the summer. Um, so our daughter is 19 freshman in college and, um, son is 16 in freshman high school. Okay. Okay. So they're, I'm guessing them being older with you and your husband traveling so much, is it, um, has that just kind of picked up? with them being older or how, how do you, how do you all, I mean, cause you guys are in ministry and you know, it's, it's different, um, it is. different than a local church context, but it still is ministry. So what does that look like? Um, with, well, with your kids in the picture? Well, okay. This is where things are a little odd for us is that we have basically been traveling and speaking full time since they were born. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause so, for woman only came out when it came out in 2004 and, and our, yeah, okay. our son, you know, was a year and a half old. Um, wow. and so our, I, our daughter was four. I'm sure you didn't expect it to blow up like that. Right? <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. And actually it was interesting when they were young, it was a lot less complicated because we just took them everywhere. Right. When when they were in elementary okay, school, yeah. we, we purposely picked a school. We knew we couldn't do a public school because they wouldn't allow the children to be gone and to travel with us. And we felt like that was important for us as a, a family. We wanted this to be a family ministry where we weren't away from our kids, that they were with us. Um, so we picked a school that was cool with that. And we, you know, when we're on the road or speaking on, you know, one of those suffering for Jesus things like speaking on a cruise, um, the kids would, <laughs> the kids would just, you know, get all their schooling stuff and they would homeschool on the road. That became a little more difficult once they hit middle school and high school. Cause you know, our daughter was all into volleyball all the way up through high school, did varsity volleyball. And, you know, she couldn't be gone. And, you know, now our son is in high school. He can't, he can't be gone in the same way. And, um, and so thankfully for ours, it took, it took a lot of years of juggling, but from thankfully from our perspective, it has been, I'm more likely to be the one that's traveling. Jeff and I do about 15 events a year together. Um, but I do somewhere in total between 40 and 50. Um, and, okay. and Jeff is just, he's an amazing dad. He's great at juggling stuff. And in the last year or two, we've also had my, um, my parents live nearby now, which they never did before. We never had family in town. Um, so it was always a matter of, okay, which friends are going to be sweet and take our kids in this weekend? <laughs> so Yeah, no, that's helpful. That's good. Now, Shandi, if you were sitting across the table from your 20-year-old self, what would you tell yourself about preparing to lead? I think 
probably, honestly, is to just not be so tense about it. And not, Mm. I mean, the biggest thing that I have had to do over the years is to let go. And to my to recognize that my natural personality and certainly my 20 year old personality is a bulldozer. I'm I am a classic type A type person Um, and I can tell people what to do and I can get really bossy. Heaven help me. Um, And I've really had to learn the difference between bossiness and leadership and um, recognizing that, again, for me as a 20-year-old, um, you will learn a lot about leadership if you just sit and listen to the people that you're trying to lead without jumping in and just telling them what to do. And I wish that I had learned that yeah. a lot earlier because, it, you know, like all of us, I mean, you guys have probably heard this a hundred times from different people, but it it is, um, it often ends up in the same, you know, doing the same things, not always, but sometimes, but with a team of people and people who are much more willing to listen to you if you're listening to them. Anyway, I wish I'd learned that earlier. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's, (laughs) there, there just aren't enough good listeners. And I think especially when you're in ministry, Uh, friendship is so critical Mm. and finding the right friends is so critical because as a job, you're supposed to listen and, you know, but, but maybe you turn that off at home or maybe you don't have anyone listening to you. So uh, at at that point, I think it it goes both ways. Well, and, you know, up until the last few years have been different just because we're on the road so much. We don't have as much time with friends and fellowship as, as I would like, but we have plenty of people that we run things by and that we can talk to. I, and that's been incredibly important for my whole life, but I do recognize my tendency is to think that I'm right by golly. And I have not until, you know, more recent years have not been good at all at not telling people what to do, but listening, hearing what on earth is going on inside of them and recognizing it's not a matter of usually leadership is not a matter of being a director. It's usually a matter of coming alongside someone and helping steer them in the direction that we think they need to go, but being willing to, to adjust as you go. I mean, again, there's nothing profound there. It's just, I, it took me a long time to, to learn that. No, I love that. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us, Shanti. Well, thanks. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. So Shanti is the author of, um, for women only, for women only, for men only. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, uh, fantastic books. Uh, On has a new podcast. Also, also is a teacher along with her husband on Wu Marriage. So be sure to check that out. And I believe if you use the coupon code Leadership, you can actually get a free month. So you can view all the content if you go to WuMarriage.com/slash/free trial. So thanks again, Shanti. Thanks so much. 
Thanks again for listening in to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. We are a part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network family and the Group Answers podcast is as well. So Chris Surratt, Brian Daniel, if you haven't listened to that podcast recently, they're the hosts and they've covered topics like building a growth track, building a spiritual pathway, how to write sermon-based studies. So just look up Group Answers on your favorite podcasting app and subscribe today. We'll catch you next time.